have your Bibles with you, uh, which I hope you do, uh, turn to Ephesians. We're continuing our series in Ephesians. If you do not own a Bible uh, that you can read, a Bible that is in a, a translation that makes sense to you, we would love to give you a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one of those, if you need one, uh, again, if you don't own one, you can find them over on this table right over here, and we would love to give that to you. A couple hundred years ago, there was this uh, very monumental event in church history called the Reformation. And if you, the Reformation uh, is October 31st, is the Reformation Day, uh, same day as Halloween, so, you can re- so it's easy to remember. Uh, and so it's coming up, Reformation Day, the most important holiday on October 31st, uh, but it's... Uh, Reformation. There's a lot you could read about. I would encourage you over this next month to uh, even find different resources to find out. If you're like, hey, what happened during the Reformation? Uh, Spend this next month up to October 31st uh, understanding what happened more. But to give you the ultra Coles Notes version or maybe some of the conclusions that came out of the Reformation were these things called the five solas. The five solas. Uh, These are five declarations in Latin. Uh, Again, during the time of the Reformation which speak clearly to how and why we are saved. At the time, and similar to now, uh, there's distortions to how and why we are saved. Uh, We saved by faith, or works, or merit, or other mediators, or tradition. There's all these different distortions kind of creeping in. How and why are we saved? And these things are not saving. And so these solas came to be. Now, sola means alone. And so these five solas are five alones. All right? And they are, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. I'll go over those again. All right? It's not a test. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so it's grace, not merit. Faith, not works. Christ, not other mediators. Scripture, not other revelation or tradition. And to the glory of God alone, period. So these solas are affirmed throughout scripture. And this morning, as we go through Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, we see four of the five clearly. And by the fact that we're reading it out of Ephesians, uh, out of Scripture, we affirm the fifth, uh, Scripture alone. And so I want that to be our big idea this morning as we work through Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. The big idea is this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. If you... uh, are always stumbling, uh, man, he says the big idea so fast. It's in your bulletin, all right? If you, there's a big idea with the point, so if, you, if you're like, hey, I need to be with it, that's where it is. If you didn't get a bulletin, they're on the table. You can grab one on the way in. We are saved by grace alone, <clears throat> through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. I'm going to read Ephesians, uh, but I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, just to give us a little bit of a ramp-up context into chapter 2. All right, so let's hear God's word together. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord.
I know we read a lot more than what we're going to be going over this morning. But in the the last 10 verses I read there, the first 10 verses of chapter 2, we see a contrasting portrait of death and life, of depravity and salvation, of hopelessness and hope. And maybe you're here this morning and you know this hope, and it blows your mind every time you think of it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here, though, and you've never heard this before. Maybe you've heard it, but you're indifferent. Maybe you are against this message. Maybe you feel opposed to it, this idea of talking about us being spiritually dead. Maybe you're just confused. Maybe, too, though, you're here this morning, and you know this hope. You've heard this, you've, you've responded, but you feel like your, your grasp of what you know is the gospel, the good news, it feels just shallow. Well, our sermon points this morning, you'll see in your bulletins, I formed into questions. They are basic, but rich questions. Questions that I hope we all come away with, with a clearer understanding of. That we can all walk away and say, I know how to answer these three questions. And that should affect our own hearts and lives if we've never responded to this. This should affect our hearts and lives if you have responded to this. This should amaze us. And this should help us even in our evangelism. As we share this good news that we know. And so those three questions are this. Why do we need saving? What does God do? And why does God do it? pray that we all come away being able to answer that question. Why? Why do we need saving? What does God do and why does God do it? So first, why do we need saving? Paul launches right into why we need saving in verse 1. He says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead. Not stumbling, not falling slightly short. Dead. You and I are spiritually dead because of sin. God is perfect and holy. And so our rebellion, our sin, separates us from him. And so you may look around here this morning and you say, man, everybody looks very much alive. Uh, I don't know what Paul is talking about and I don't know what you're talking about. That's true. <laughs> we are alive. That, that's a true statement. We are physically alive. But this something hard to wrestle with, this idea of what does spiritual deadness mean? What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Now, Paul writes later in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so we're separated, alienated from God apart from Christ. To walk in our sin is to be spiritually dead. And you may be sitting there thinking too, you know what, Aaron, you know, there's bad people in the world. There's some people with legitimately terrible motivations. But for the most part, we're all mostly good. I love the uh, 18th century preacher, J.C. Ryle. He used to, when he would preach, he would pull out his keys and he would jingle them around. And he'd say, you know what, keys tell me that we're sinners. If we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need to lock anything. 
The very fact that before I leave my house every day, I have to take my keys tells me that there's sin in the world. These are evidence of sin. But you don't have to just take my word for it. You don't have to take a kind of cheeky illustration about jingling keys. We just have to open the Bible. We just have to open our eyes to look at the world or even our own hearts to know that we are spiritually dead. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the state of our hearts. When I was a child, I had to be taught a lot of things. I had to be taught how to speak, to walk, to read, to ride my bike, but nobody had to teach me how to sin. It came very naturally. And you may not like you know, me saying, hey, we're all sinners, even the kids here. But if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. We all sin. It comes natural to us. It's who we are. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be a doctor. But this is the diagnosis. And I know this. This is a serious diagnosis. This is not sickness. This is death. In mass casualty incidents, uh, in a, a major event where uh, there are mass casualties, emergency responders use these things uh, called triage cards or triage tags. I have one here that I thought I'd show you. So this is a triage tag. And so what an emergency responder would do is they would take this tag or they'd have the whole stack of tags and they'd go from patient to patient and do rapid triage. And they would mark off uh, you know, the state of that person so that whoever was coming to give care could know how much care needed to be done or what could be done. And so there's four different categories. There's minor, delayed, immediate, and deceased. So minor, that's like walking wounded. You know, I kind of hurt my neck this week. That's a minor injury. I whined about it all week, but that was minor. There's no threat. They would come up to me and just give me this card and say, you're good to go. Like, you know, don't worry about it, man. Just get out of the way. The next one is delayed, which might be a, a really a serious injury, but not life-threatening. And so maybe I've got... Uh, a broken bone. I broke my leg. You know, they would come up and they'd rip off the minor one so that you would be at delayed. And so it means this person needs care, but if we wait, they're gonna likely survive. The next one is immediate. This is critical. This this person needs help desperately. If we don't help them, they will die. But they're still savable. Right? We look at them, we say, we need to help this person right now. That's the number one priority. So as people go through, they would look for these red cards. You'd be looking like this. You'd be saying, there, immediate. We need to help this person right away. Put them in the ambulance. Let's get them to the hospital. And then the last one, you can guess from what I called it, is deceased. Deceased. And so if there is no vital signs, if there is signs of obvious death, you would get the black tag that says deceased. And that just tells whoever's coming, we, we can't save this person. We need to move on to the other ones that we can save. And I know this sounds like a morbid thing, but this is what happens in mass casualty incidents. And as we think about this rapid triage, this is the card we get when Paul makes an assessment on our hearts. We look down around our necks and we have this card that says deceased. We are spiritually dead. From one look at the state of our hearts, we are spiritually dead. We get the tag spiritually deceased. We are spiritually bankrupt. 
And so we're dead because of our sin. And I know that doesn't feel like an encouraging note or something that we want to hear. But this is the reality of who we are. We have followed the prince of the power of the air. That's a dramatic and descriptive way of saying Satan. I know we have a lot of characters. Uh, you know, we'll see coming up October 31st about, you know, what, you know, we think of the little red guy with the horns and he spends a lot of time on people's shoulders, that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. But this is Satan, the enemy. And like Adam and Eve in the garden being tempted, we face the same decisions that they face. We face those decisions every day. And if you're anything like me, you respond a lot like Eve did in the garden. She wanted to be like God. When I look at my own life, most of my time throughout the day goes to how can I be king of my own life? And so we fall for the devil's schemes. And so Genesis chapter 3 is the original fall of humanity into sin. And there are external forces at play, right? She was manipulated by Satan. But we see that we, along like Eve, we are not simply a victim. Genesis 3, 4 through 6 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to, uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her, hus her husband who was with her, and he ate. She was drawn in by the sin, but also the effects of sin. She was drawn in by the temptation itself, but also what she hoped she would get, wisdom. And that's the truth for us, too. There's external forces at play, but it's the state of our own hearts, too. If, if, you don't, if you need a case study, you can just follow me around for a while, and you'll see the state of a naturally sinful heart who wants to be king of my own life. And Ephesians 2, 3 says, uh, these are the ways... Uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the rapid triage on our hearts. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that we are dead in our sin because that's the way we walk. Now, we're not talking about a stroll, just a you know Sunday afternoon walk we're talking about our character the way we live our entire life that's our walk that's what characterizes our life and so that's the rapid triage that we get that we are spiritually deceased and throughout the bible we learn much about god it's god's revelation to us and we see a number of his different characteristics and we can fall into the trap of only considering you know, the characteristics we want God to have. We spend our time thinking about God's love, God's mercy. And those are good things, and they're very true. And I hope we spend the rest of our lives digging into the depths of God's love and mercy. But they are not his only characteristics. What about his justice? 
What about his wrath? How do we make sense of those things? Well, God is just. He is a good and fair judge. He rightly judges sin. And this is good news. This is good news. God hates evil. He promises to deal with it, promises to make all things new. We shouldn't want a God that would just let evil slip by. A God that would lift up the corner of the rug and sweep it underneath. That's not the God that we worship. We should praise him because his judgment and justice are good. But we have pictures of perverted justice all around us. But this is not God. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that. God's justice should make us worship. But it should also make us tremble. Because again, when we look at the the tag that we got at rapid triage... It says that we're spiritually dead. Our walk is sin. And so we stand rightly under God's just wrath. As we sing often uh, here, we say we we stand beneath a debt that we could never afford. We cannot save ourselves. We have this triage tag around our necks that says deceased. And we're too dead to... You know, even get the tape and scissors and try to put it back together and try to give ourselves a new category. And we slip into the fact that we trivialize sin. Maybe you think, I'm not, I'm not dead. We're like the Monty Python, the, I'm not dead on the cart. You know, we think that because we say, you know, my sin's not that bad. You know, I mess up every once in a while. Sin is not less than doing bad things, but it's, So much more. Pierce Taylor Hibbs says this, we're so bent on sin as a behavioral problem that we ignore its spiritual ramifications. We ignore what it's doing to our souls. This sin makes us spiritually dead. But unlike this rapid triage tag that you get that's definitive, you know, when someone comes up, they see this, they say, all right, move along. Let's get to some of the people in the red category. This isn't where the passage ends. This isn't where the news ends. This would be bad news up to this point, but things don't end at verse 3. We face a radical problem, and that demands a radical solution. We face spiritual deadness, and what does deadness demand? A miracle. Kevin DeYoung writes this, We were not strugglers in need of a helping hand or sinking swimmers in need of a raft. We were stone cold dead, spiritually lifeless, without a religious pulse, without anything to please God. But he loves the loveless, gives life to the lifeless, and is merciful to those deserving no mercy. And so we ask the question, why do we need saving? Well, it's because we're spiritually dead. But we have another question we need to ask this morning. What does God do? What does God do? We see it in verse 4. Paul interrupts the bad news with, I think, two of the best words in the whole Bible. But God. We followed the course of this world. We were dead. But God. We followed the prince of the power of the air, but God. We lived in the passions of our flesh, but God. 
We carried out the desires of our body and were by nature children of wrath, but God. Look with me at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is divine intervention, the best kind. We rightly sat under God's just wrath, but God. God is just, and that's a good thing. But he is also merciful. It says that he is rich in mercy. He lavished his love on us. He is rich in mercy and loved us enough to intervene. That is good news. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. We were laying there with our deceased tags around our necks, and somehow, by grace, we are saved. That chasm between us and God had been bridged. That death that we were experiencing, now there's life. And this isn't when we figure things out. This isn't when we get our act together. Even when we were dead, he made us alive in Christ. Romans 5, 8. For while, uh, for, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. God loves the real you. God loves the real you, not the one that you project onto social media or getting yourself all together for whoever you're going to meet. He loves the real you, the you that you want to keep hidden. He doesn't love your sin, but he loves you. So friend, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of God's mercy and love, he knew that it was a debt we couldn't afford. We had the deceased tag. We had nothing we could do about it. But in his mercy, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world to live a righteous life, to not walk in these ways of sin, <clears throat> to be tempted, but not fall into that temptation. And he lived that righteous life so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, so that he could die on our behalf for our sin and be raised again, defeating death and making a way for you and I to be made right with God. He substituted. He, he, he took our place. At some point, the illustration breaks down, but it's as if he walked up to us with our triage tag sitting there and he traded with us. He said, I'll take your deceased tag. I'll give you a hope. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God is just. Again, he's not going to just sweep sin under the rug. But he made a way for our slate to be wiped clean. Because his wrath against sin did fall, but not on you. 
He made it so that it could fall on Christ. Right? Jesus bore so much more than just the physical weight of the cross, the torture device that he had to take to his own death. He bore more than the physical pain of Roman torture. He bore the weight of the world's sin. He carried the debt that we could never afford. He paid it in full. And so when we think about grace, by grace we are saved. That is grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. God doesn't owe us grace, but he gives it freely. It is unmerited. If you are here and you are not a Christian this morning, I am so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that you are among friends. If you look around this morning, there are a bunch of formerly spiritually dead people here. You are among friends. And maybe you're here and you're indifferent to this message. You say, I've heard this before, but it doesn't affect my life in the here and now. Maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you're opposed to this message. Well, the man who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, Paul, was opposed to this message. And if you don't know the story, it's incredible of how he came to know this truth, how he came to know this hope. He was on his way to persecute and arrest Christians simply for being Christians when he had an encounter with Christ. He came face to face with this hope. There was a massive divine intervention. There was a but God in his life where he came face to face with this truth and his life was changed. A more modern example, which is far from modern, was another 18th century preacher, George Whitfield. And he reportedly had preached John 3 thousands of times. He preached John chapter 3 thousands of times. A passage where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Jesus says, you need to be born again. And there was a man who came to this one sermon where Whitfield was preaching on John chapter 3, and he came with his pockets full of rocks. So he stacked up all these rocks, and he came for the sole purpose of attacking Whitfield after the sermon. He was going to throw rocks at him. But he came face to face with God's mercy and love through Whitfield's preaching. And he approached Whitfield after the sermon after the service and he said i came to hear you with my pockets full of stones to break your head but your sermon got the better of me and broke my heart this is the power of the gospel it brings life out of death and so if you are not a christian today could be that day for you if you do not know this hope Come to Jesus. Whether you need to empty your pockets of rocks or indifference or misconceptions or apathy or pride, there is hope. Look to Jesus. Know him. Trust him. Give him your life and he will give you life. This is the gospel. Maybe you've heard that word before. Gospel. It means good news. This is the good news. And this is what Paul says the good news is. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. This is our hope. Grace through faith. Grace. It's a gift that we don't deserve. And by putting our faith in Jesus and turning from your sin, we can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. We can be given new life. And so this leads us to a big question. What is saving us? Grace or faith? How does this all work? Well, we see both are a gift from God. Both are a gift from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Kevin DeYoung again writes this. Grace flows through the channel of faith. But the channel itself is God's construction. We are saved by Christ. Faith simply acknowledges and rests upon who he is and what he provides. A helpful illustration I think is uh, maybe going to trouble some people. This is not a vaccination agenda here. But the illustration is medicine. Medicine saves you, but the syringe is needed to deliver that medicine. So pick whatever medicine you want if you don't want to think about the current climate in the world. But God is the good doctor. He gives us grace through Christ. That is our hope. That is the medicine we need. Faith is the channel. It's the syringe. It's the gift of God, the channel that grace runs through. And that's our hope. So this is more than just cutting a check and covering a debt. This is new life. We just came out of Ephesians chapter 1 where we saw Christ exalted on the throne. Christ raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Christ has authority. He's seated in the heavenly places. And when God saves us, we are united to Christ. Christianity is not simply following some rules or reading your Bible a little bit more. It is being credited with Christ's righteousness and receiving the benefits of being united to him. So this is not a to-do list. This is not a different way of life. This is new life. By grace, through faith. But again, we've asked some big questions. We've asked some big questions. We say, why do we need saving? What does God do? But that should leave us with a bit of pause, saying, well, why? Why does God do it? Why does God save anyone? And so that's our third and final question this morning. Why does God do it? Verse 7 paints a very clear picture for us. Anytime you see a therefore or a so that in the Bible, that should perk up your ears, all right? If you see a so that, in verse 7, it says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God demonstrates his kindness and glory in his love just displays who God is. In verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we saw that uh, three times in that small section, when answering the question, why does God save people, said to the praise of his glory. God is glorified when his perfect character is on display. It's a bold proclamation of who he is. 
He saves us so that all will see his immeasurable kindness. I love that. It's not just kindness. It's immeasurable kindness. We think about that. Why are there seemingly endless galaxies in the world? Why is the universe immeasurable? Well, I think to display God's glory. Why is his kindness immeasurable? Same reason. Displays God's glory. When we are scratching our heads at the mystery of the gospel, why would God save anyone? We are dead. It's because his kindness, his love is immeasurable. And so we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We have no reason to boast. Jesus' illustration to Nicodemus in John 3, what George Whitfield was preaching, was saying that you need to be born again. You might have heard that before. That might make you, well, what's that all about? What's the one thing in your life you had absolutely nothing to do with? What's the, you had absolutely nothing that you contributed to? Your birth. You did nothing. And that's what Jesus says needs to happen. Jesus has come. Have new life. Come like a child. And God is glorified to show you his immeasurable grace and kindness. And that's good news. And so we are not, we have nothing to boast about. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. When we are saved, something changes. Look at the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Something changes. Instead of being an enemy of the gospel, he becomes a preacher of the gospel. Look at the man who came with a pocket full of rocks to hurt Whitfield. Something changed. He had to empty those pockets. Something changes once we're saved. We see that Paul thanked God for the Ephesians, their faith and their love for one another. So they did no work to be saved. But we see in the final verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We have a new identity. We have a new calling. This identity that we have, this should change the way we live. And so it's a distortion of the gospel to think that we can just do whatever we want because we're forgiven. I had a non-Christian friend, and he used to say that. He would say, oh, Christianity, it seems like the best religion because you can do whatever you want as long as you say sorry. What a sad distortion of the gospel. We are forgiven, and that's good news. But this is, this is not a changed heart, one that would say something like that. Say, I can do whatever I want as long as I say sorry. Confession isn't the partially full gas tank that just gets us to the next gas station. So forsaking sin is the best evidence of forgiven sin. Forsaking sin is the best evidence of forgiven sin. We are spiritually dead. But amazingly, that is not the final diagnosis. We somehow got this card. And we're looking down saying, I I don't like this. This isn't good. And we can work and work, but there's nothing, nothing changes. But amazingly, that's not the end of the story. 
we can be forgiven. God is rich in mercy, and he loved us enough to pay the ultimate price for us in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Sin wasn't swept under the rug. Sin, the the consequences of sin, the wrath of God fell fully on Christ. He took the full brunt of God's wrath for those who would trust in him for salvation. And he did it to show his loving kindness, to display his glory. We walk in sin. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. Look at how the beginning of the passage starts and how it ends. Instead of walking in sin, now we walk in good works, which God prepared beforehand. This is new life. God's mercy made it possible. One of my favorite quotes, which I've said many times, many, many a time here before, but the extended version of it is here. This is by John Stott. He says, the essence of sin, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone, but God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. This is the good news. And so friends, no matter where you are this morning, empty your pockets of rocks, Greed, apathy, pride, self-righteousness, futile work, and come to Jesus. If you are heavy laden, come to Jesus. If you are tired and broken, come to Jesus. If you mourn and need comfort, come to Jesus. If you sin and fail, come to Jesus. He hates your sin, but he loves you. This is Jesus, a friend of sinners. So come to him. Find rest for your weary souls. Let's pray. God, we are amazed and dumbfounded that you would save us. But we thank you for your mercy, for your kindness and your love shown to us in Christ. Lord, you know the state of our hearts better than we know the state of our hearts. Father, open our eyes to see our nature, but open our eyes and hearts to know your love more and more. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us through faith. Help us to know that truth more and more. Help it to change the way that we live. Help us to look to you and to come to you. And we 
pray all these things in the name of our Savior who bled and died for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.